Hey, you're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in and around the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles throughout the week. And then we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to Make and Multiply. In last week's episode, I talked about a definition of discipleship from Doug Wilson's book, Why Children Matter, where he describes what we call life-on-life discipleship. He defines discipleship or parenting or teaching as loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength while you love what you do in the presence of someone else whom you also love. So loving God, loving the task at hand, and loving the people around you. That's how we view discipleship. The context for disciple making and multiplying is everyday life. Loving the task God has given us, whether those are mundane and ordinary and routine or challenging and difficult and unpleasant, whatever it is, just loving that thing that God has given us to do and loving the people God has put around us that we're sharing life with, whether those are family members, neighbors, co-workers, and in all of it, loving God supremely. That's, that's discipleship. There's another point Wilson makes in Why Children Matter that I think is especially relevant to those who make and multiply disciples. And the reason there's so much overlap between discipleship and parenting, or a book on gospel-centered parenting, is because all parenting is discipleship. Parents are the ones who are given the primary responsibility to disciple their children, to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to teach them God's ways. Deuteronomy 6 tells parents, talk about God's word in everyday life. Everything that you do, when you get up in the morning, when you lie down at night, when you go about your, your business throughout the day, let God's word saturate all of life with your children, all of your interaction with them. So all parenting is discipleship, and all discipleship is like parenting. There, There's a helpful analogy in parenting for those who are making disciples. Children learn by observing and imitating their parents, and likewise, disciples observe and imitate those who are discipling them. So Paul can refer to Timothy frequently throughout the New Testament as my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, or my true child in the faith, or my beloved child. Paul saw his relationship with Timothy, uh, this man that he was discipling, as a father-child type relationship in the faith. So he is modeling for Timothy how to live the life of faith and how to fight the fight of faith. And Timothy is learning by observing and imitating Paul. So all parenting is discipleship and discipleship is like parenting. And here's a lesson for parenting and discipleship that Wilson points out. I think this is worth the price of the book. Uh, Wilson observes that parents often misidentify the, the real lesson that they're teaching their children. The lesson that they're actually teaching is oftentimes not what they think it is. And here's what he means by that. He gives an example. Uh, imagine a toddler messing with a vase, touching the vase, and the parent corrects the child and says, don't touch that, it's breakable. Um, and the toddler goes back and touches the vase again. So imagine that scene playing out where the, the child keeps going back to this breakable thing. The parent thinks on the surface, uh, this is a lesson in not breaking things. This is a lesson in not touching breakable items in the house because that's what it looks like on the surface. And Wilson says, actually, the lesson that the parent is teaching, they are teaching by modeling through their behavior and their response a deeper lesson. And that is how to respond when somebody 
frequently and repeatedly goes against your word. Uh, the way that the parent responds to the child, does the parent freak out and get angry and frustrated and vent that anger? Uh, does the parent act in patience and self-control? How the parent behaves in that situation is the real lesson because children learn by observing and imitating. And on some level, this is not a profound insight or observation Wilson offers because I think it's widely known, it's reflected in that idiom, do as I say, not as I do. When people say that, they recognize, I'm teaching you one lesson with my words, and that's the lesson I want you to get. The lesson I'm teaching you with my life, my behavior, don't imitate that. I don't want you to learn that. So on some level, even unbelievers, by God's common grace, recognize the real lesson, the deep lesson we're teaching is, is what we do. And that's why people say, do as I say, not as I do. So Wilson gives another example. Imagine a family sitting around a dinner table and one of the children begins to play with his food, touches food with his fingers, and suppose that the father has addressed this table etiquette before, telling his children, don't play with your food at the table, it's impolite. And now imagine that when this child starts to play with his food, the father angrily barks at the child. He gets angry, he loses his temper, yells at the child, reprimands him in front of the whole family at the table for playing with his food. Uh, this is a case of the father misidentifying the lesson that he's teaching. He thinks he's teaching table manners. What he's actually modeling with his behavior is the very opposite of that verbal lesson. He's saying you should have manners at the table, but he's acting completely inappropriately at the table, actually in a way far worse than just playing with your food. It's, you know, Yes, it's not polite to touch your food and play with your food at the table, but it's even worse to blow up in sinful anger at other people at the table. Those are bad table manners, and that's what the father is modeling. And so his his verbal lesson uh, is quite different than the one that he's he's passing on. You've probably observed things like this in the grocery store. A child is throwing a tantrum in the aisle, and then the parent responds to the child's tantrum in an adult version of a tantrum. Uh, when I see situations like that, I think, well, it's no wonder that the child is acting that way because they've probably observed this parent behave in similar ways. What does the parent do when they don't get their way, when the child doesn't listen to them? Uh, so the, the child acts in the way that they see the parent act, and that's the real lesson that's going on. So what does that have to do with discipleship? Well, we value life-on-life -life discipleship because it's in community that our unbelief gets exposed and our true colors show. It's in community that evidence of God's grace can be observed in one another's lives. And when we see areas of weakness exposed by sharing life with other people, if we respond to those weaknesses and areas of sin, those shortcomings in others, in the flesh, we will be irritated, annoyed, offended. And if we act out in that way, then our response to sin in each other is actually antithetical to the gospel. But if we're walking in the spirit, then disciple makers think this is a discipleship opportunity. When I see a gap between where someone is in their actual life, their character, their behavior, their emotional response, whatever, I see a gap between where they are and where God wants to take them, that gap is 
the discipleship gap. That's the discipleship opportunity right there. And by God's grace, we can discern those discipleship gaps by sharing life with one another in community. When we see those gaps, it's not an excuse to get irritated and annoyed with one another. Remember James 1.20 says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if I see a real sin in somebody else, and I know from God's word that this is an area where God might want to uh, make this person more like Jesus, my anger is not going to sanctify that person. So if I respond in annoyance, irritation, frustration, whatever, that's not going to sanctify this person. It's not going to produce the righteousness of God in them. Only the Spirit of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. So when we see discipleship opportunities, those are opportunities not simply to correct annoying things in others, things that annoy us. They are opportunities to model the grace of the gospel in the very way that we respond to one another and approach one another and exhort and rebuke and confront and admonish and all of the ways that scripture calls us to interact with each other and speak the truth in love and build one another up and beware of unbelief and hardness of heart that might creep in the way that we handle those situations we want to be modeling the gospel in all of that because it's possible to be saying with our mouths uh something true you know that's sin and you should change that or jesus loves you but we could be saying it through clenched teeth while while you're wanting to shake someone and and our behavior, our response itself is then not modeling the truth of the gospel. So by modeling the truth of the gospel, there's another danger to avoid. And that is, uh, we often think, well, that just means cutting each other slack and overlooking all of these offenses. And that's not the gospel either. Uh, God doesn't leave us in our sin but modeling the gospel means approaching one another with the full conviction that the grace of God, the costly grace of God that cost the Son of God his very life and his blood uh, actually atones for every sin. So there is a Savior and there is hope. And living in community with one another with that kind of optimism and hope that God really does intend to sanctify us and to make us more like Jesus Christ. And so believing that, having that conviction about one another leads us to interact with each other in in a way that's just uh, saturated and infused with the, the truth of the gospel, the grace of the gospel, as we bring that to bear on one another's lives. One way to discern between responding in the flesh, in fleshly anger, which cannot produce the righteousness of God, and responding in gospel-centered, gospel-motivated ways is to identify what your motivation is. Am I responding to this because it bothers me and annoys me and I want it to change for my comfort and my convenience? Or am I responding to this sin in someone else? because I care about them and I care about the glory of God and I am convinced that they can experience God's grace and be more satisfied in God through this. What's the driving motivation behind that? To be effective disciple makers, we have to be committed to holding out hope to one another, the hope of the gospel. Uh, God's redeeming grace really can change you and conform you to the likeness of Christ. And when you hold out that hope to one another, it changes how we approach each other. It's not merely behavior modification that we're after. We are pointing people to Jesus. We want others to know 
Jesus Christ and to trust in him and to turn away from sin so that they can experience the fullness, the heart satisfaction of who Jesus is and the the fullness of God's grace in Christ. So it's not behavior modification, it's Jesus and we want people to know Jesus and experience him and enjoy him forever. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, please email me at ryan at EmmausRoadSF.com. And if you're not currently part of a huddle or MC, let me know and I would love to help you get connected. If you're interested in more, you can find this content in our discipleship huddle guide, which is based on the DNA guide by Saturate Resources music on this episode is called Everywhere by Lee Rosevere and it's used under a Creative Commons license.